reading this morning. This is, uh, we're continuing our Good, Bad, and the Ugly series, looking at people in the Old Testament that point us to our Savior. We're in Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. Follow along with me, and if you need a Bible, we've provided Bibles in the pews. You can take one of those home. They're ESV Bibles uh, as a gift to you. Then Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Marah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from the Mount of Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men, but the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid, go down now to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against this camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. It's like deja vu again. I'm here (laughs) again. So before we get started, uh, hopefully when you came in, uh, you had given a flyer. And the flyer uh, is a collaboration and a partnership between us, the well, and Forsy. Now, how do we get into this? I I can't remember the conversation at what moment we decided to do this. But the challenge is we need people Uh, that are faithfully believing that God is operating not just locally but globally. And I'm trying to understand what that means biblically for us, but it's a commitment not only of time but also some resources. Now, if you are thinking about it, please talk to me. You can also register just to put out there and just say, I am interested. You probably can go for the first two classes for free. But what is it that we're partnering up? It's a class called Perspective. I actually took it last semester or last fall and it was a semester worth. It was 16 weeks, uh, three hours a week. It is a commitment, but I believe that God will speak to you very clearly about why there's your role in missions, whether it's locally or globally. 
So some of the highlight points that I want to uh, talk to you about today. It is a comprehensive 15 week. It's all in person. It's deeply rooted in the scripture. The course explores different aspects of God's global purpose and the various way he calls you to be involved. But what is it is, it is a biblical, historical, cultural, and strategic understanding of what God is doing. Perspective is not a class on being a missionary. So if you were scared about that, we're not going to try to convert you to become a missionary, even though that is my hope. Uh, but it's a learning experience that it groups and equips everyone for the kingdom of, of God. And over 250 people have taken this course. So I highly, highly recommend that you consider it, that you pray on it, and speak to me afterwards and let me know where your heart is at. And we do this on a regular basis. Our perspective does this throughout. But it's a unique opportunity for our church to partner up and trust in the Lord that he will provide the workers to come to the field. With that in mind, let's just pray for a minute and gauge our hearts. Is this something that we're scared of? Is this something that God has been placing in our heart? Is this something that God has been maybe through various conversations has been uh, thinking about or pushing you to think about what is your global uh, perspective in terms of missions or what, how that can translate locally? So let's just pray and ask God for wisdom and clarity as we go into the fall, thinking about our partnership and our relationship with Perspective and Forcey. Uh, dear Father, this morning we come to you maybe fearful, uh, maybe hesitant, uh, maybe dismissive of what this might mean for us and our families as God is calling our church to be more global focused as well as local uh, focus in terms of mission and sharing the gospel. We pray, Father, uh, that today and through the next couple of weeks, individuals will be motivated, will be led by the Spirit, uh, maybe push, Father, maybe, uh, to take this course and just opening a new perspective, a new window, Father, into your global kingdom. Thank you, Father, for those that have taken it, those that have learned from it. Uh, thank you, Lord, for not only the financial partnership that we're doing, with perspective, but also the manpower and the hours of prayer that has gone into this course and the preparation, and for those 15 instructors that are going to be leading this course. Father, I pray that we'll be uh, surprised by the amount of people that will say, yes, I am ready to take this challenge on. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Matt stated, we're continuing our series, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And today, I have a good guy. I have Gideon. Um, and I'm going to try to highlight as much as possible the goodness of him. But there's something about him that drew me when I was uh, picking out the, the characters and the personalities for the series. Obviously, I chose Miriam last week, and that was a really hard one just to go through it. It took me over a month just to get ready. And this one was a lot simpler, but I was diving in. There was something that just continued to hammer over and over about Gideon. We know Gideon as this individual that was extremely, quote-unquote, brave that he took the challenge of God and took 300 men into battle and God delivered the Midianites in his hands. But I want to focus a little bit more about the background. I want to focus a little bit more about the humble beginnings of Gideon and how God shaped him to be what we know today as a brave man. So who was Gideon? To discover this a little bit more, we have to go into our Bibles, and we're going to go into Judges 6. And like I told you last week, and I know you're all good students of the Bible, you did your homework, you read Numbers 11, so hopefully this week you'll read Judge 6 and get a little bit more, and Judge 7 and 8, 
Judges 6 and 7 and 8, and you get a little bit more background in terms of the story of Gideon. But I just want to focus a little bit about the circumstances that Gideon was experiencing prior to being called to the work that God had for him. So in Judges 6, 1 through 3, we see a very uh, unique and very similar perspective with the Israelites. They had been disobedient. They had been disobeying God. They were being sinful. Shocking, right? There's this whole story about the Israelites in the Old Testament. When we get to Judges, we see this notion of just repeating itself over and over again. And we see that they've been under the oppression of the Midianites for seven years. To the point that the land that God had delivered them, they were no longer able to use it like God intended. But they were hiding in caves and they were retreating and they were very fearful. So for seven years, Gideon is growing up in this situation where God is literally judging them on a daily-to-day basis. Anything they're growing, the mediates will come and tear it away. So this is the formative years of Gideon, living in oppression, living under fear, living in the just and the violence and oppression, injustice, persecution, scarcity, poverty, running away not able to fulfill what God had called the Israelites to the promised land. And this makes me think about us as a church, living in this abundant land of the United States, with everything that is able for us to harvest and reap. And we're usually scared, living in scarcity, being afraid of what might happen if we do what God is asking us to do. So Gideon is just growing up in the circumstances for seven years, and this is the beginning of Gideon. As you read Judges 6, you begin to see in verse 11 that Gideon had been scared. He lived under fear. He lived under oppression constantly to the point that prior to God calling him out for his divine purpose, he's actually about to hide the wheat Put it away so the Midianites would not steal it. When we get to verse 27, we see someone that is obedient, but afraid. And when God calls him and says, Gideon, I have a plan for you. You will be the liberator. Gideon responds like usually we will respond, and we've seen other responses like Moses. He said, why do you want me, God? I come from the weakest tribe. And I'm the youngest of my family. In other words, humanly, I'm not prepared. I don't have the skill sets. I'm not from the tribe of Judah. I'm not the oldest. I might not be the tallest or smartest. I might not be the strongest. Why are you calling me? And we also see a Gideon that needs lots of assurances. God, if it is your will, let me do this test for you. And God answers that test. And I think we all will be just satisfied with one test, correct? But not Gideon. Gideon did two tests. He said, okay, maybe the first time was just accident. Let's make sure that God's will is true. So he tests God again. He said, please, God, don't punish me. Don't get mad at me. But let's flip it around. And you know the challenge in terms of the test that Gideon did. But... What is it that God sees in Gideon? 
What does he see in me? He's definitely not looking for the bravest. And I'm a testament to that. You already know my story, right? Uh, Matt comes into the office and France and said, Ronald, you would have loved France. You should have seen the things that we did. We put a life jacket and we went down a river. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to go down a river and through falls and stuff like that. Now, if I have to preach the gospel to reach to an unreached tribe, maybe. But not at the willingness of my heart, I'm going to do that or canopy or no, right? But think about why is God calling us, right? What are the things that God sees in us that we don't see in ourselves? What is the untapped potential? What are the things that God is shaping us to be in his will? When we get to Judges 6.12, this is the response of God to Gideon. God says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that Gideon was brave. It was the opposite. But God sees something in him, not because of who he was, it's through the mighty power of God that he was going to transform that fearful, doubtful, and man that needed assurance to become what we know today as Gideon. And the question is, what is it that God is asking you to do? What are the things that you're saying, I'm not prepared, I'm the weakest, I'm not the smartest, I'm the youngest, I'm the poorest? What are the excuses that we're giving to the Lord for him to do his mighty work in us? And when I see that phrase, that mighty man of valor. Now, God is speaking into the future, not into the present. Because God is going to equip Gideon. And there's the thing about working with God and walking with God is the sense that we're not there yet. Is this idea of progression, is this idea of evolution, is the idea of trusting the Lord so you become more brave. You get to do more things in the Lord. And many of us have never developed that trust in the Lord. Maybe we do the test, maybe we just, you know, hide. But truly, what is the moment that we need in order to fully trust the Lord and what he's calling us to do? And then we obviously get to the part that we all know, right? And God is telling Gideon, you'll be a man of valor. I'm going to use you. So when we think about Gideon, it's not a story about, Gideon's a story about each of us. We have been called not by who we are, but who God is. As I, as I am more successful, in many cases, I forgot who God is. As I began to get the dream jobs and the promotions and the salary and the wife and the children and the house and the cars and the 401k continues to do, do well, maybe not double, right, because it's not doubling. But we began to just see the provision and the abundance. May we, we forget a little bit about God and who's in charge. Or maybe when we begin to see that we're losing our jobs, or house value has not increased as we wanted to. Or we get sick. And it's always not about our circumstances. It's what God can do under those circumstances. 
Or it could be the fact that you're saying, look, how is God going to use me? I have a learning disability. I have physical, emotional. I have seasonal depression. I have anxiety. I have phobias. I have traumas. How God is going to use me? But this morning, God is telling you, men and women of valor, through my power, I'm going to make you a woman and man of valor. See, what we usually forget is that Jesus wants us as we are. And we have heard the story multiple times. I'll get to church when I'm ready, when I have dealt with my sin, when I am more holy or sanctified. No, God wants you like you are right now. Jesus wants you to come and bring who you are and what you have at this particular moment. Let him transform it. Jesus is the one who can make your negative into a positive for his glory and his honor. And one thing that I want to drive home is never about us. It is always about him. And I was reading in the scripture this morning, Jeremiah 18, 6, and it says, Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. But what is that clay this morning for you? It's your life. It's your dreams. It's your aspirations. It's your career. It's your children. It's your marriage. It's your house, your possessions. Everything is for God and the honor of him. So what will you bring to him, to our heavenly potter, to do as he pleases? So when we get to Judges 7, we saw the story, so I'm not going to get into the details. You're very familiar with it. But I want to highlight a certain aspect about Judges 7. At this point, Gideon has tasted a little bit of God's faithfulness and how God is beginning to shape him in the man of valor that he's going to be. So at the end of Judges 6, we see him going into the mountains and destroying some of the idols with 10 men. But then... A couple of verses later, now Gideon is leading an army of 22,000 men. How do he go from 10 to 22,000? I don't know. We don't know the story. But can you imagine Gideon trying to convince individuals about his master plan to defeat the uh, Midianites? Can you imagine as his leader trying to convince, recruit, cast vision, have follow-up meetings, training times, spending over the plan of logistics and provisions and everything that the tiles to have a disciple plan. What was his pitch? What was his vision casting? What was the catchphrase that he was going to use to attract 22,000 men to go into battle? And God tells Gideon, wait, wait, thank you for recruiting 22,000, but that's not good enough for me. You have too many. Imagine if you're a leader, you spend all that time, all that energy casting the vision, recruiting individuals, and God says, nope, too many. And the first thing that God uses to dwindle that number is fear. Fear. As I talk to many of you, and I talk to tons of you over the last year and a half, and I talk to other people, and the first thing I hear about missions and going to trips is, not for me. I am fearful. 
What are the things that are holding us back from doing God's will? Fear, in the Bible, appears over and over and over again as an obstacle to to do God's will. So as we go into the story in Judges 7, and we begin to see more and more this idea that God doesn't want fearful individuals, and he says, send them back home. So Gideon as his leader had 22,000 minus 12,000. Now he only has 10,000 individuals for battle. And I'm thinking, as Gideon, I only have 10,000. How am I going to defeat the Midianites? Should I change my strategy? Should I change the focus of the plan? What things should I do differently? Maybe Gideon is a positive individual. Maybe he goes, you know what? I got 10. I got 10,000. Maybe we can defeat them. But God tells them, it's too many. 10,000 are too many. Humanly speaking, as a leader, God telling you you have too many, you'll probably quit. We'll probably start questioning God. We'll probably start battling him and begin asking, you know, 22 was an okay number, not enough, but we had 22. 10 was mm, decent, but 300? Come on, God. What is the tipping point for you? At what moment are you going to trust the Lord more than you trust yourself? I don't know. You look at your numbers and your bank accounts and your 401k, the appreciation of the house. At what moment do you begin to trust the Lord more than you trust yourself? And I know as churches, we begin to trust the Lord when we have more people, when we have more money. But is that truly what God wants? I don't know. And maybe in some circumstances, it is what God wants. But in this particular moment, Gideon is being told over and over and over again, it's too many. And the reason is, and God says that in Judges 7, that if I allow to go into the war and the battle with 22,000, the Israelites are going to say, through our hands, the Midianites were delivered and not through God's. You see what God is doing? He's taking the human element out of it completely, To the point, the only thing that makes sense is God. God is the only one that can do this miracle with 300 individuals. What is your final number? At what moment do you begin to trust the Lord? And this notion of what holds us back, what holds me back from doing God's will, from trusting in the Lord, from truly trusting in the Lord. At what point? And for us, this fear is a wall that doesn't allow us to continue to climb and grow in faith. It limits us. See, on the other side of the fear is God's will. It's God's purpose. With our humanity and our fearfulness, in many cases, we're not allowing God to operate fully in us. And I can imagine in my personal life, how many times have I been fearful to trust in the Lord? That is why when it comes to missions, all I say is, here we go. All right? It's not about like where I go. It's not what I'm going to do. It's just trusting the Lord. 
taking fear out of it, which is not a human response for me, but giving it to the Lord and saying, here you go, right? Communicating with my wife effectively, which I don't do regularly, right? I just come and say, babe, I'm going to Ukraine. She goes, hold up, what? Where are you going? She's like, give me some time, right, to process it. And then seeing her being comfortable with the notion, right, and me being disappointed I'm not going to Kiev, right, just outside of Ukraine, right? But this notion, right, what is holding us back? And every single aspect of our life right now, there's something that is holding us back from God doing amazing things. What is it that we're trusting more than we're trusting God? What are the things that we have too many of that is not allowing us to trust in the Lord? Are we saying we're the weakest, we're the youngest? What is the limitation aspect that you're not allowing to see God's vision through you? And we know that that number eventually goes down to 300. Now, what's interesting as you read Judges 7, God not only tells the individuals not to go to war, but he sends them completely home. He says, go home. In other words, there is no reserves. The Marines are not coming to get Gideon out of the war in case something goes wrong. They're completely gone. So Gideon at this moment has to trust the Lord. But because Gideon needs assurances and because he is a fearful man, when we read verses 9 through 16, God says, come with me, Gideon. Let me show you what I'm going to do. And he goes down into the camp and he hears individuals speaking about a vision of how God was going to deliver the Midianites to Israelites. Midian hears it with one additional man, goes over to the 300 that are remaining and casts the vision. I have heard the Lord speak. In a vision, God would deliver us. He delivers the strategy, and we know what happens. 300 men are chasing over valleys and mountains an army that is defeated. And I see in us the potential to overcome fear. And it's not about the building, right? It's not about a building. It's not about how much money we have. It's not how many people we have in the pews. It's not about how far do we go. It's not about what we're going to be doing. It's about allowing God to tell the narrative, to tell the story. So last week, I read about Martin Luther. So this morning, <laughs> I'm going to read about King and Country, all right, the song. There's a song that I like a lot that has been playing on the radio. And this is what it says, and I think it's very uh, pointing to what we're speaking. It says, I'm a little unstable. Loose wires always getting tangled now. I'm a little bit difficult. I can be a little self-critical now. I'm a little unable to put all my cards on the table now. But somehow, you are still with me. It's amazing that you can I'm a little uneven, in need of a little more healing now, and I feel a little unfixable. You're nothing short of a miracle now, because somehow you're still with me. It's amazing that you can love me like I am. And even when I can't, 
you still love me. And this is what God does. He loves you the way you are. He loves me the way that I am. And I see God working in you, in us, for his glory and his purpose. So obviously I don't want to leave you with Ken and Country, so we're going to turn into other verses that I want to leave with you this morning as you walk away. If you're still having doubt of who you are, if you're still having doubt of what God has done in your life. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possessions. And this is why we're called to proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous gift. When we get to Hebrew 11, 31, and 33, this is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. Gideon appears there. And then in verse 33, he says, Through faith, Gideon and other prophets conquered kingdoms, informed justice, obtained promises, stumped the mouth of lions. This is what we can do when we allow God to overcome our fear and have faith in him. And I think there's one more Bible verse that, there it is, okay? First Corinthians 27, 31, this is something that I go over and over again through my life, looking at who I am and what God has done in my life. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus. This is the power that we have to do these amazing things for him and through him who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not about who I am. It's about Him. In conclusion, as we walk away from this Sunday morning, and we begin to think about what is holding us back, what are the obstacles and the fears that we have that doesn't allow us to trust fully in the Lord? What are the things that we have too many of? What are the things and the insecurities that we have placed upon ourselves through the backgrounds, through experiences, through people telling us that we will become nothing or the doctors believing what the doctors have told you, what you can and cannot do? What are the things that you're going to give to the Lord as a clay, as an offering for him to do his will. So as we move into communion, let's pray. Let's acknowledge that we are the weakest. We're the youngest. We don't deserve it. And as we did last week, there's two things you've got to say this morning. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I am saved, 
and need the grace of my Savior. So let's pray. Let's think about this man of valor that was not really brave. It was just through God that he was able to do these amazing things. Father, this morning we come as men, as women, as children, not worthy to be in your presence. Father, we have so many obstacles, so many fears. And I pray that this morning we're able to just come to you as we are. Trust you, Father, in obedience and in gratitude. Father, transform us into the men and women of valor that you want us to be. For your glory and for your honor, we want to do amazing things, Father. We want to be able to tell about your mighty power and how weak we are, how much we need you, Father. And as you pray, take some time before you take communion. And what Gideon did was he worshipped him when he heard about what, how God was going to deliver the people. This morning we can worship through our lives, we can worship through singing, we can just worship just being here together and acknowledging his mighty power. So let's drink and eat this morning.